Hello, readers. Coming up, it's episode number 110 with award-winning actor Brian Cox on Putting the Rabbit in the Hat. First, I wanted to encourage you to check out our website at booksonpod.com. While there, you can sort through past shows by episode number, book title, author's last name, or sort by category. For instance, select the biographies and memoirs, film, TV, and performing arts, or humor category for episode number 190 with award-winning actor Alan Cumming on Baggage. Hello, this is Alan Cumming. My new book is called Baggage Tales from a Fully Packed Life, and you are listening to Books on Pod with Trey Elling. Hello, readers. Brian Cox is a Scottish-born award-winning actor of stage and screen, whose impressive list of film credits includes Rob Roy, Braveheart, Rushmore, Super Troopers, The Bourne Identity, and The Bourne Supremacy, Churchill, and, of course, playing Logan Kent on HBO's Succession. And he's just written a phenomenal memoir about the lessons he's learned as an actor and human called Putting the Rabbit in the Hat. Brian, thank you so much for the time today. Why did you decide to go with the title, Putting the Rabbit in the Hat? Well, the original title I wanted, and I'm still regretting it, funny enough. Um, the original title I wanted was the quote of Lindsay Anderson's, which I actually say in the book. Uh, but my, some of my, my editor understood it, but some of our sub-editors didn't understand it at all. So anyway, that was, don't just do something, stand there. And that was that was that was the original idea, which was what Lindsay Anderson once said to me after a very frustrating rehearsal. He said, oh, don't just do something, stand there. <laughs> he said that. And then so they thought that was problematic. And then the other incident that happened to me, which you know, I, 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 I used where I got the title from, putting the rabbit in the hat was that years ago, like seems like 100 years ago now, I did a. I did Titus, not Titus, I did Tamburlaine the Great. I did it as the opening. It was the opening show of the National Theatre when it moved into the new brutalist building, which it certainly is now in London. And uh, we, we did this, um, this play called, Tam as I say, Tamburlaine. Albert Finney was playing the name role. And there were th he, had, he, was, he was a bit like D'Artagnan. He had these three characters, three kings, who were like his musketeers. And, I was his white king. I was the Aramis figure. Called, um, he was called Theridamas. Anyway, so we were all there and we hadn't rehearsed because of the strikes and then and we hadn't rehearsed for a bit. And Albert suddenly he comes out and he, he talks to me and Oliver, my friend and this other friend actor uh, gone. And we, he says, come on, lads, come on. You know, it's, 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 we just, you know what we do? We just get the rabbit out of the hat. We get the rabbit out of the hat. That's what we do. And, and uh, my friend Oliver said, yeah, there's, there's only a, one problem, Albert. How do we get the rabbit into the hat? <laughs> and that seems to me, putting the rabbit in the hat seems to me what it's all about is, you know, it's not about the delivery. It's about stoking it up and getting it right to start with. Yeah, it's all about the process, that preparation yeah. that goes into being able to deal with the good and the bad that comes from yeah. the that you make in life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely right. Yeah. So there are so many great stories in this book. That's obviously one. The story of your childhood is also very harrowing. You were born in Scotland, June 1st, 1946. 
nearly got called Colin, ended up with Brian. People need to check out the book for that story. Uh, but you also dealt with quite a bit of trauma as a kid. For instance, your dad died when you were eight. How did your life change after that, Brian? Well, radically. You know, we, we'd never experienced poverty. And uh, within, probably within two years after my father died, we were maybe a bit longer, maybe three years, but uh, certainly by the time I was, yeah, no, it was only two years. Uh, poverty, unbelievable poverty, unbelievable sort of having nothing. And we had something. Uh, my dad, of course, made some bad investments because he wasn't a businessman. He was an entrepreneur, but not a businessman. And uh, that was his tragedy in a way. And my mother, of course, she sort of, she describes it in a passage that she wrote on her diary after my dad died, is we had our, we had our little differences, but they were, they were not all that little. They were quite, my mother just used to believe that charity began at home and my dad was not one for, he was, he was the opposite. He didn't believe that at all. He believed you give, you know, he was, he wasn't a Christian, but he was about giving. I mean, he, you know, he practiced the faith, but he wasn't as, he wasn't as Christian or Catholic as my mother was. You, know? you also figured out pretty early on that you loved performing. How did a potential schoolyard fight at Our Lady of Victories at St. Mary's Forbrook provide <laughs> you with your first lesson on acting? <laughs> well, there was this guy, this, this kid in this class um, who's, I don't know if he's still alive. If he is, he's, he's got to be in his 70s now. But he was a very sweet boy. He was called Henry. He was called, we called him Harry. Harry Carey, he was called. Uh, Carey or Carey, Carey, but we called him Harry Carey. And uh, he was a very skinny kid and sort of, kind of, sort of egg face shape and little hair that was cut at the side and just sat rear on top of him. And he was quite, quite clearly... He might have been regarded nowadays as being slightly, tragically autistic. And I think that, you know, like quite severe, very shy, never spoke. And uh, as you know, the, <laughs> the schoolyard is such a microcosm for all the worst behavior one will meet in life to come, you know, and uh, not a pleasant place to schoolyard, you know. I have no, uh, no nostalgia for it. So the, the boys, and there's always a phalanx of boys who fancy themselves what we used, what we call hard men, you know, going, ah, stirring it and trying to encourage other people to misbehave, as it were. And they think it's all oh, horrible. I used to hate that. I hated it. The violence, violent energy. I mean. So anyway, they tried to get me to fight this kid. He was standing there. He was not doing anything. We were both leaning on a, a, wall, a low wall, which... It was a Maris Brothers school. That the stair went down to the, the where the Maris Brothers lived. So we were leaning on this wall, and these kids started banter, badgering me and saying, "Go on, go on!" And and they wanted to, to fight. And, um, and 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 I remember Harry Carey's expression because he he wasn't afraid. He was confused. He didn't know what was going on, uh, you know. And he just was because sort of looking like this. What was going on? What's happening? And uh, I just grabbed my own lapels like that, and I threw myself right across the playground. And then I started hitting myself on the side of the head and doing that and all that stuff like that. And, uh, you know, and eventually the boys just kind of, they came around me to start with, and I could feel them just shrinking away from me. <laughs> and they got so 
I think because he thought, what's happening? What's going on? But it was, you know, it worked, you know. Then I never had any problems after that, you know. And it was, I couldn't have fought any of them, you know, they were all beating the crap out of me, but but I could, I could actually be wacky enough to sort of make them feel disturbed. <laughs> So you get your first experiences with theater as a teenager and you literally start at the bottom and work your way up to where you eventually get minor roles in plays and ultimately you are starring in plays and you've obviously done a ton in the way of Shakespeare over the years, but Shakespeare doesn't always click for most people right off the bat. When and why did Shakespeare start to click for you? I really, because of, um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hype and ways of doing Shakespeare and stuff that's taught and, you know, what it's, it should be this. And, and there is a certain musicality in Shakespeare. And when you understand the musicality of Shakespeare, the sense actually comes more through. Uh, when you realize that you're going from a prose line to a poetic line, you know, the, 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 the arch example of that is when Hamlet meets Ophelia after, uh, you know, after to be or not to be. And he says, uh, and she comes on and says, soft enough, fair Ophelia, nymph in thy orisons be all my sins remembered. And she comes on and she's coming on with a, a book, actually, a, a prayer book. And, and uh, she starts this, and it's very formalist. That I have, I have remembrances of yours that I long and long to re-deliver. No, not I, I never gave you aught. So there's a sort of rhythm which is actually about formality. I mean, you don't say it like that. Like you say it as naturally. I and mean, actually, interestingly enough, you can say it very low key and it still works as long as you don't lose the ends of the words. And, and then what happens in that scene is that Hamlet breaks it and he goes into prose. Uh, yeah, uh, he says, are you modest? Are you, are you something? That if you be, are, are you modest? Are you fair? That if you be modest and fair, your modesty should make no discourse to your duty. And he gets her on away from the, the verse. And she's trying to pull him back to the verse because that's the world she understands. So at the end of the scene, when she goes off, when he goes off, you're left with this metronomic, uh, um, oh, how does the speech go? Uh, Oh what, an, oh, oh, what a noble mind is here all thrown. The courtier, soldier, scholar's eye quite, quite down. And if you take that, even if you say it with, it's, it's, it's a received speech and it's very, very formal, very in, in the rhythm. So it shows you that the girl has gone back to where she is and is safe and doesn't have to venture beyond that. And of course, it's also her undoing because it's a very narrow world, that world. And that's what's brilliant about Shakespeare. You know, and, and if you see a great player when he's playing, you know, like the best Shakespearean actor I ever saw was probably Paul Schofield, you know, who was an extraordinary. He had a way of using, clicking the verse, which was second to none. And, and to follow that would be Gilbert, you know, John Gilbert, who was famous for all. But that was, that's a, you know, that's a link that we've lost in a way. But it's only straight language. Iambic is just follows natural speech patterns, that's all. It's not about posing with the language or, it's just about sitting in it. 
great master of it was Vanessa Redgrave. I, I went with Vanessa Redgrave on, uh, I did, what was it I did with her? Oh yeah, I did Corey Lentz. Uh, it was a film that Rafe finds, it's a wonderful film. I think one of the best Shakespeare films ever. And I did that with her. And she had this wonderful way of just rooting the language and making it as though she was talking off the cuff. I mean, and I, I was inspired by that. I, I picked on it and I thought, I'm gonna try that. Just that, not so much effort in the line because it's film as well, but it's great. And I think it's, I, and it's accessible to anybody. Anybody with an imagination and anybody, because he's, so, he's such a complicated writer, Shakespeare. He's, he's very allegorical. He, 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 he paints things in an allegorical form that you think may be real, but then you realize, oh, this is an allegory for something else. And the plays are always about something which is not overly expressed. You know, that's, that's, I mean, he's deeply subtle in that way. We're going to fast forward a little bit now past Angry Panthers and penile burns through clothing and retracted testicles to ask about <laughs> what was one of your first big breaks in Hollywood. And that has to do with uh, you playing the original Hannibal Lecter in the mid 80s film Manhunter. You beat out some big time actors for that role, including John Lithgow. Mandy Pantinkin and Brian Dennehy, who actually referred you to director Michael Mann. You've become friendly with Anthony Hopkins over the years, yet y'all have never shared notes with regards to how each of you played Hannibal Lecter. Why is that? I just think it's, I mean, there was a lot of, I remember years and years ago, there was a, I remember I was, uh, I was doing a television in Holland of all places and the telephone went in the afternoon and uh, somebody was on the end. She said, yeah, Hi, hi. You you were the first Hannibal Lecter, yeah? <laughs> and I said, what? You, you were the first Hannibal Lecter. And I said, yes, I, yes, I was the first Hannibal Lecter. And that was the headline that a guy used on, that I was hoodwinked into an interview. And that was the headline. I was the first Hannibal Lecter. And we actually shared the same agent at that time, Tony and I. And Tony, he had this lovely wife who we parted from, but she was a sweetheart. But she she was very protective of him very and she saw this thing you know on the paper and, and called a mutual agent and said I think Tony would be very offended by this and I rang back and I said I'm really sorry about that I said that was not my intention I said it was just that I was tricked into it I was lying sleeping in my hotel room and some journalist rang me up and then we got into that and he started and I said I'm really really angry so ever since then we've always avoided the subject you know that was probably 30 years ago i'd ask you if you visited uh austin texas which is where i'm speaking to you from now yeah, absolutely. i know i know that you have because you tell an amusing story about your engagement to your wife that happened in Austin while you were filming The Rookie, but you also filmed one of my, uh, one of my all-time favorite movies, Rushmore here. What was your experience working with a young Wes Anderson and separately Bill Murray on that movie? Well, actually we filmed in Houston, not Austin. Oh, I we was, uh, okay, I, part of it may have been filmed in Austin, my apologies. Yeah, I think part of it was filmed. I think, I think the school grounds may have been filmed in Austin. Right. I actually filmed in there. I mean, I love Austin. It's one of my. I've, I've done. I did a wonderful film on Austin, which was which was a. I mean, it's a film I've never talked about, but I, I had a. It was it was it was a very un PC film, and uh, it was called The Ringer, 
and it was about rigging the uh, Special Olympics. And we shot it all. It was it was the what are they called? The the two brothers from the uh, Fairley oh, brothers. The that, Farley, Farley brothers. Yeah. That that movie got got treated unfairly. I think it was starring Johnny oh. Knoxville. The message in that movie was a really good one, but people just assumed that the movie was making fun of those with special needs. It was the opposite of that, though. And what is the opposite of that? And the, and it was we we went to we had a the premiere was for the special needs, and they went berserk for it they loved it um, i think one of the one of the people who was part of that was the the shriver family they, they, they're one of the big organizers of that and no it was fantastic it was a, a lovely film and i had a great time there no I've, I've had a wonderful time in austin um wes was great i mean i mean it, it, he is great uh i mean he's become this most astonishing he's found this most astonishing Way, voice that he has now in the cinema, which is quite a unique voice. But interestingly enough, you know, this was the start of really every the, the Wes Anderson. I mean, they'd, he'd done he directed this really good film called Bottle Rocket, which was a little indie that they did the, the Wilson brothers and him did together. Mm -hmm. But what was so interesting about Wes was he was very he was just very very precise about particularly in the script, and I thought sometimes too precise. For instance, he was. He would stop a lot after Jason uh, Schwartz when we did the master on Jason, and he would make him repeat the line. I just said, I said to him, I had to sit him. I said, Wes, if you keep doing that, we'll lose the rhythm of the scene. I mean, we'll just lose because the rhythm, the scene will not have a rhythm because we will not be able to find the rhythm if if, if Jason is repeating every line. And he went, oh, and it was he was it was a learning thing, and he, you know, he just it was fine. As for Bill Murray, <laughs> well, Bill Murray is very. Funny. I mean, he's the hard. Apparently, he's the hardest man in the world to get hold of because he doesn't have an agent. Right. And I have a project that I'm. I actually, I'm. It's my probably my first and certainly my last directorial project, um, which I'm hoping to do uh, next year. And I was very keen on the idea of Bill Murray being in it. So, but I don't know how to get in touch with Bill Murray. <laughs> and when I worked with him, he was very angry about spending time in England. He didn't, I, initially, he didn't realize I was Scots. He thought I was English, which is <laughs> it's an understandable mistake. But uh, though I don't think I would look particularly in. Anyway, so what, what happened was, you know, he, it was the time of the mad cow diseases. And he just kept saying, you people. So you people, you, you, you don't really take care of your cows, do you? You really don't care. You know, the state, I have to go to France. I got to go to Paris if I want to get a decent state. So I can't get a decent state in England for love no money. He said, Paris, and that's expensive to go to Paris for a state. And he's just going, this sort of things going on. I'm going, yeah, fine. I said, I'm sorry, I'm Scots, I'm not English. And he went, oh, wow, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of your roots, you, you write that with no small measure of irony, it was only when I left my home country that I truly became a Scot. Why? It was because, you know, because we, you know, when you grow up in a system which is essentially feudal, and, and especially with, with the Celts who don't, re, I mean, they express themselves in the artistic form. They'll write, you know, but they'll never really express themselves person to person. They're very closed person to person and very so they don't share a lot 
you know, so you don't know, it's something you find, you, that happened? It was like my sister, my sister, I just found out, my 90-year-old sister, she said, I never knew mom had a nervous breakdown. I mean, she, in, in fairness, she was living in the South, she was living in England at the time, and not in Scotland, but she was living in um, Chester, not in Scotland, you know. But I just thought, what do you mean you didn't know? I mean, I knew, and I was, you know, I was only nine, you know. But uh, weird, weird, and I, I, and I think that's what it is. We, we keep, we keep ourselves to ourselves a little bit. You know? hmm. What were your impressions of working with Brad Pitt on, on Troy? I really, I really like Brad. You know, he was a, he's a kind of worker. You know, he's a, he's a dedicated worker. He's, he's a very, you know, then he's, he's still young, but he was a very, he was, and he is, I think, a very serious person about what he does. And uh, certainly the work he did, uh, Katrina, the work with those houses that he did. You know, he's a, he's a sort of closet architect, uh, Brad, and that, that's this whole other side to him. Uh, but I think he's I think he's quite serious, and I think he's I think he's just got better and better and better as an actor. He's become really, I think, an excellent actor. You know, he's just worked at it, and you can see it. You know, I just uh, I have a lot of respect for Brad, a lot. Why is your work in the 2006 film The Escapist your favorite screen performance, Brian? Well, it's because I I created it. I didn't. Well, let me put it this way. I also I produced that film. And what happened was I'd been Rupert Wyatt, who's an extraordinarily talented guy, really extraordinary. Then he was an extraordinarily talented young man. He's continued to be extraordinarily talented, and. Uh, Rupert, I had done a BAFTA film, short film film, and, and it had won a prize. And we worked in really awful conditions. It was pouring with rain, but we managed together. And I had a, I had the flu, like the first assistant had the flu. It was really horrible. But Rupert put it together and he won the BAFTA and failed dues to it. And he came with it. He wanted to do a bigger version of that film. So he came to me and he wanted me to play the same part. And, I, you know, I, 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 you know, I've done a lot. I, you know, I, I had been a leading actor in the in the theatre and on television back in the UK, and I'd become this character actor, and I was perfectly happy with that. I was perfectly happy. But I also remembered that I'm, I, you know, I'm a good left back, but I'm also a good centre forward. You know, I, I, I really can hold my own in the in the centre of a movie. You know, not just coming from the sides, which is great. You know, you come in, you clean up, you get out. But, uh, and I was saying to him, I, I was saying to him, I said, you know, my hero is Spencer Tracy. I said, and I, that's the actor that I've always wanted to be in screen. I said, and I would, and occasionally it would be nice if somebody, one of you young directors came to me and said, I've got this role for you, you know, which is what happened, uh, had happened earlier when I did LIE, a film called LIE. You know, Michael Cuesta. And he said, I've got this role for you. And I, and then I told him, I said, you know, I said, the, I, I said, my, one of my favorite movies is Bad Day at Black Rock. I said, and, and Tracy is so incredible in that movie. I said, it's just an incredible performance and it's contained and it's rooted. And, and he, you know, he just, you can't take your eyes off. And I said, but not, not only that, it, 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 the, the people around Robert Ryan and Ernest Borgnine, Lee, Lee Marvin, I mean, they're all fantastic in the film. And they're all dedicated. Dean Jagger, Walter Brennan, they're all dedicated. 
I mean, amazing cast to, to the, you know, the, the single force and John Scotty's direction uh, and, and the, the centrifugal force of, of, of Spence. So I said, I occasionally wouldn't mind that position. I occasionally would like to do something. So he went away. He left me and kind of went. And then three weeks later, he came back through the script. I said, him and his, he has a writing card. He said, we've written this. And I, I said, right, he said, this, this is for you. So I picked it up and I read it. And I, I went, oh, Christ. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is, this is the real thing. And then I, I said to him, I said, I'm taking this. And I'm locking it in a safe because I don't want a word of this to change. And I know that when you try and hop this round to various producers and what have you, they're always going to give you their notes. They love to give their notes, which are always totally unhelpful, unless it's Daryl Zanuck or unless it's David Selznick, you know, and uh, totally unhelpful. And I said, but you, and you're going to do their notes, but this is the film that we're going to be making. <laughs> and that's what happened. I mean, there was a few changes, but very minimal. After you were offered the part of Logan Roy on Succession, you were undecided in discussing the character with Jesse Armstrong, who is the mind behind one of my all-time favorite shows, not just Succession, but also Peep Show, hilarious program. You asked Jesse, does Logan love his kids, despite all of his obvious flaws and the deviant nature of that character, to which he responded yes. And at that moment, you were convinced that this character was worth your effort. Why? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, because there's a conflict. Uh, and also, you know, and the, the great thing about Logan, and as it's come about, is it, he, you know, there, uh, he is a, he's an iceberg of a man. You know, it's one third on top, and there's so much underneath that you don't really see. And from an actor's point of view, that's a gift when you've got that kind of gravitas and basis to you and mystery and unresolved stuff that's going on in the backstory of the character. And the character is, I mean, he's actually older than me now. He's now well into his 80s. I mean, he's, he's a good 10 years older than me, uh, Logan. Uh, so in a way, I, I, it, it, it's, a, it's a gift, you know, and you just know that this is the right thing. And also given the, you know, if you look at my life and you look at the work I've done over the years, I've been preparing for a role like this for a long, long time. You know, I've been preparing to, to show my value in the way that I felt, that it, which is in a prominent way. You know, that's what's great about HBO. That's what's great about the whole mechanism behind you, you know, because you've got that. You're not, you know, I did Churchill a few years ago and we had no mechanism behind us. And it's, it's, it's also, I think, one of my best performances, but it didn't go anywhere. And it competed with a film which was, dreadful <laughs> you know and uh, really dreadful and my film was a really good film but it came out at the wrong time the timing was wrong there wasn't the money and power behind it and you, you need all of that so when you've got that situation and if you've got any sense it means that you can relax and do your best work because all you have to think about is the work and that's what's so great about doing succession and playing Logan Roy. And last question, Brian, early in this book, literally in the first couple pages of the book, you admitted a lifelong pursuit of learning the reason why. What is that why for you in 2022? Well, 
you hang on to the reason why because you, you go well the reason why is it's not this <laughs> <laughs> clearly you know there's this i i think man has has an inherent goodness you know that he loses and when i told man i'm talking about you know homo sapiens man woman they lose that inherent goodness not not all some milk it and and in the right way you know give it let it flow and come out and go and feed people spiritually and uh, i think that's 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 really what life is about and then some people have very tragic turns that put them in a, in a direction that they never wanted to go in the first place and that's what life does and that's why life is so complicated and it's so hard. I mean, I'm very disappointed, like Logan, with the human experiment. But I don't dismiss it because it's, I'm optimistic that it will change and it will shift because it's an organic force. You know, it's out of reason. And I think that's the most powerful thing about it. And that's why I think, you know, I, I feel that, you know, we are working. To, we are only part of something that's working towards something else. And we, we don't quite, you know, and we distract ourselves with the notion of God and spiritualism and all the, you know healthy things but but detractions from something else that's happening some other force that's at work Brian Cox is a Scottish born award-winning actor of stage and screen whose impressive list of credits includes Rob Roy Braveheart Rushmore Super Troopers the Born Identity and the Born Supremacy, Churchill, and of course, playing Logan Kent on HBO's Succession. And he's just written a phenomenal memoir about the lessons he's learned as an actor and a human called Putting the Rabbit in the Hat. You can get it now wherever books are sold. Brian, thank you so much for the time today. Thank you for this book and best of luck getting in touch with Bill Murray through that 800 number. <laughs> Take care. Thanks to Gentleman Jesus for the intro and outro music. Hear more of his work at GentlemanJesus.com. And thanks to you for hanging out. You can watch, listen, learn, and connect for free at BooksOnPod.com. For Books on Pod, I'm Trey Elling. Good day. Good day.